Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chen, and uh, she is an author. She is a uh, a holistic medicine doctor, and uh, I'm super excited to have her here today. I want to talk a little bit about the promo video that I have in uh, that you just watched. That's for the event. That's June 3rd and 4th. It's Rebels with Rebels for a Cause. Cause stands for Creative Artists Uniting for the Sovereignty of Everyone. So go to rebelsforcause.com, spelled out, and get your tickets because they're selling out. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a super awesome event. We have an incredible lineup of speakers. Actually, uh, two speakers who both recommended that I speak with Dr. Edith are going to be speaking there. Uh, So our mutual friends. And we have several musicians. I'll be doing aerial acrobatics. And we have some comedians. So we're trying to build community and celebrate art that's pro-humanity, not culture creation, and not social engineering of the masses. (laughs) How are you doing today? I am awesome. It's so awesome to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast and just a big fan of what you stand for in the world and, and your audience, you know, like what you guys stand for in the world, really from the heart. Thank you so much for here on the planet right now, um, building a more beautiful world is a big honor. Whatever we talk about is going to be awesome because I just love being in this energy with other people that are focused on solutions, you know, enough of complaining about all the problems of the crumbling system. Let's build the new culture, the new solutions, the new communities of the future. Let's build a more beautiful world. Uh, I love that. And I'm so honored. Like, I love that you're that you watch my podcast and that you're familiar with my work. And I'm I'm so incredibly honored. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we can I don't know where we'll go, because as you know, it tends to be pretty conversational. And I feel like we could talk about a million things and maybe we will. And maybe we'll uh, come back when we have more time, because I know both of us uh, have a time cap today, but we can always revisit for when the schedule allows. So maybe just to start for my audience who might not be as familiar with you and your work. Could you talk a little bit about your background? So you're a holistic medicine doctor. You've had a couple of uh, more transcendental types of experiences that have been a catalyst for the milieu in which you are currently immersed. So maybe you can give us a little backstory. Yeah, so many good stories to share. (laughs) I guess um, um, a, a good backstory is that in 2003, I had recently quit my job as a software person. Um, It was actually right after September 11th. I had um, gone to uh, Harvard and got a degree in applied math and got a 
well-paying software job. And it was just kind of eating me alive inside. I realized on a deep level, I was doing what the world thought I should be doing um, instead of what really I wanted to do deeply, which was since age four, I wanted to be a Chinese medicine healer. And I just kind of let the world convince me that it's not practical. Uh, you can't make money. You should go to school and, you know, learn all the, all the, um, you know, get good grades and get a good paying job and get a mortgage and have 2.5 kids and follow, you know, what the world says. And um, how did the 0.5 part work out for you? <laughs> that's like all yeah that's the kind of that'll require a lot of applied math i'm just curious <laughs> um yeah so in 2003 after much soul searching it was actually right after september 11th i finally got up the courage to quit my software job and just took the the leap of faith and decided why don't i pursue my childhood dream and see where it goes Worst case yeah. scenario, I can always go back to software or, you know, something related to engineering, applied math, something from my background. So I'm in Chinese medicine school and um, you learn acupuncture, herbology, you actually learn Western medicine also. Um, you learn nutrition, you learn all these things. But my favorite part about Chinese medicine school is that it's part of the curriculum to learn Qigong and Tai Chi. And also in the acupuncture courses, you learn really um, sensitive awareness of energies. Like you have to learn how to feel into the flows of energies. And that was my favorite part. Not all the academic learning, but like becoming sensitive and aware of energies and having the practices, you know. So Qigong class, I love so much that outside of school, I continue to practice and study. And I apprenticed with a Qigong master whenever I wasn't in school. And I also took many Qigong classes with the Qigong teacher that was in our Chinese medicine school, but like her more advanced courses outside of school beyond what was required for school. I just loved it. There was like something that was so nourishing about... Um, and later I realized that that there's some past life um, connections to why in this life I was so drawn to Qigong practice. But for those that aren't familiar, Qigong is a practice um, based in the Chinese medicine tradition where you become aware of your breathing practices. There's many different breathing techniques. You become aware of your intention and your consciousness. And there's uh, some physical postures or mudras or movements associated with this. So there's these three components woven together. You're consciously aware of your energy flows and consciously directing the energy flows through the power of the breath and your mind. And so every time I practiced Qigong, it was like, ah, oh, just, you can't lose. Like, I mean, your audience, probably everybody meditates or does breath work. Like every time you just take a beat and take a few deep breaths and come back to your center, it's always a win. So I always look forward to Qigong class. But in 2003, in this particular Qigong class, for some reason, I, I don't understand why there's like some cosmic reason why this particular Qigong class was very special. I went so deep, so deep, so deep that I started to feel a kind of um, experience that I'd never had before. And then there's this certain moment where one minute I'm following this guided breathing practice, and the next minute I went, 
suddenly I'm the size of the entire cosmos. And there's no time, there's no space, there's no body. I just experience myself as trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light, the size of the entire cosmos. And it's so hard to put words to describe these types of experiences, but it, um, it was like, it almost sounds trite to say that you experience yourself as pure love and pure light. So a more accurate description might be complete contentment. Mm -hmm. It was a kind of like contentment that I could have never imagined before. Leading up to it, I had this idea of like, oh, I have some questions. Maybe in the meditative state, the answers, the insights will come to me. Right. And in this state, it was like all questions were answered and there were no more questions. Wow. It's a contentment, a completeness that I really don't have words to describe. Just pure love, pure light, pure contentment. And I realized that this is our natural state. In that moment, I realized that I was home. This is our natural state. And I have no idea how long that state lasted because it was completely, there's no time reference whatsoever. And I just was wanting to stay there forever. It felt like an eternal state, but somehow, somewhere from far, far away, I heard in the distance some sounds. I was like, what is that? And then it was the meditation teacher's voice guiding some other part of the meditation. And then I was like, wait, there's an Edith Chan in a body. She's a Chinese medicine student sitting in a Qigong class somewhere. Maybe I should go back. And so this trillions and trillions of pieces of love and light had to decide to densify itself into a pretense of a body of some young woman in her 20s, a grad student sitting in some room taking a class in San Francisco. Like it was this awkward, weird, almost painful thing of how do you stuff the entire size of the cosmos back into this pretense of a physical body? So finally, it did. It chose to densify itself and get back into this body. And it was this ridiculous sensation that was almost painful. And all it could do was burst into avalanches of tears. And there were no, like, there was no ability to even articulate what just happened there. That I realized that I was home, that I returned to our natural state. And so, after some time nowadays, I can kind of try to articulate what happened there. It was like a clashing of intense, intense love and appreciation and gratitude for having remembered who we really are and this intense grief and sorrow. Because in that moment, I realized that this whole place is backwards and upside down and that, that we're all living a bunch of lies here that my life up until that point, as much as I had done some soul searching, like, what do I want to do with my life path? And I should do 
what it feels like is like helping and of service and um you know in alignment with my interests and passions like even that all of that was just like there was this crashing up realizing that this entire reality system has been built backwards and upside down and so there was intense appreciation and love and gratitude and then intense grief and sadness and also anger like all of these emotions clashing together so the sobbing and the sobbing and the sobbing, it was like when the meditation was over, the teacher's like, what, what happened to her? I, I couldn't even art, local mo my mouth muscles to articulate any, like it was so intense of a clashing of sensations. It turned me into a seeker. I would say it was about two or three years after that of intense dark night of the soul. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. I still function well. I had part-time jobs. I went to school. I got all my stuff done. I showed up places. I paid my bills and I was a responsible, functional human. But on the inside, it was like so much inquiry and question and nothing made sense. And it turned me into a seeker. I literally read thousands of books on spirituality, the meaning of life. I started researching all these people with NDE experiences, near-death experiences, because that was so similar to what I experienced. It sounds like, yeah. And I just started my discernment and my intuition. Now I had a reference point for what truth is and what is closer to truth and what is further from truth. So my truth meter was completely recalibrated. So I went around the world studying with different healers and teachers, taking workshops on spirituality and retreats and personal growth and reading all these thousands of books and always listening for what is closer to that truth that I already experienced and what is further from that truth. And that took me on this journey that now um 20 years later i'm happy to say where i've landed is the recognition that it turns out a lot of us came here during this transformational time to help to clean up the mess the inversion the backwards and upside down nature of how this reality system has been created to bring it back into integrity to our true nature of peace and kindness and love and harmony is not our nature to be so divisive and to be like told like either you're democrat or republican or like you know like the the all this divisive war games that maybe humanity had to go through a learning period to see what that's about but now many of us have outgrown that paradigm it feels stifling and it feels utterly, honestly stupid to us. Like and contrived, right? A way of manipulating. Yeah. It doesn't feel authentic and we're tired of being manipulated into hating each other. It We're burnt out from all of that. We want to create a world of peace and harmony and collaboration and co-creation. We want to create a world where we respect each other's individual choices, but we're also mature enough to hold nuanced conversations, bring diverse perspectives, and find that higher win-win. Like many of us on a soul level came here to express that into this physical reality, and we're just done with that old paradigm. So it took me many years to get to the point to realize that I'm part of a wave of people that came here to bring a more... Um, conscious, you know, high integrity way of doing 
human. Like, what is, how can we do this human society in a way that is closer to the, the higher laws of the cosmos and the divine truths? Wow, I love that. And do human in a way that is uh, that's more human. Um, I always say, you know, I, I think that their agenda, the, you know, whatever you want to call the they, but I always say that I think that their agenda is to lead us into a transhuman, ultimately post-human world that's controlled by an AI hyperic mind that they program. And uh, the best antidote, antidote to that is for us to be more radically human. And uh, yeah, you touched on so many aspects of what may, it is to be human. I think that, you know, we are social beings, so it's not natural for us to constantly be in this divide um, and, you know, turning against each other. You know, I do think there's a, you know, there's certainly individuality. I think that there, it doesn't mean that you always agree or that, you know, you're never in a position of oppositionality because, you know, you protect your interests and your family, your loved ones. But ultimately, what would advance humanity is for us to figure out a way to celebrate, you know, the unique individuality of each and the strengths and the gifts that we all have in order to be in co-creation, co-collaboration, um, to balance each other out and to advance as a as a collective. And to do that, you have to honor the individual, right? Yeah, I mean, these last few years have been so rich with so much learning that 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 we all needed, I needed you know, to like really sit with this whole thing of like unity consciousness got hijacked into, it got distorted into one size fits allness. Yeah. That your individual needs don't matter. Whereas true unity consciousness is the, is the brilliance of honoring individual needs and arising to a higher win-win. And we understand that we care about the individual and the collective at the same time that we don't sacrifice the individual and, you know, censor you, shut you up. Just right. like we tend to be, that's not true peace, right? True peace and true harmony requires patience and deep listening to each other to work things out. Not you shut up and go along with the agenda. Right. Is that so? I mean, that's dictatorship, obviously. Or, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you you touched on something else that's a really important is that that's another false dialectic, I would argue, this idea that it can only be uh, the one or the many, right? When in fact it is both. You know, there is the individual, the individual is, inc is incredibly unique and, uh, and very powerful and important, and yet it still impacts the collective and we all still have a, an integrated uh, kind of interconnectivity, but that doesn't negate the individuality, yeah. Yeah, I was just chatting with our mutual friend Alexek about how where we're going is actually um, full of paradoxes. Yeah, you know, and I think there's a lot of us. Our physiology and our neurology need some healing. You know, I have like right now I'm so focused on education and children, new parents, yeah. education and parenting. But I have 20 years as a holistic medicine doctor. And I just see that so many people have so many neurotoxins and their yeah. bodies are unhealthy. So it's almost hopeless to be able to hold these nuanced conversations that actually allows you to be able to handle paradox, like this yeah. unity consciousness, not be one size fit allness, right? Like right. all these things that are like their nuanced conversation, you have to hold this both and consciousness versus an either or consciousness. To be able to not see things black and white, but see the nuances 
Um, and to be able to hold that discomfort of like, I don't know the answer, but I'm oriented towards a feeling in my heart that I know that resonates when it's like that sweet spot, that elegance where individual needs are met and a higher collective needs are met. And there's a beauty that feels so delicious and rich and nourishing for everybody. I, I know that feeling. I can taste it. Right. Uh, it requires your body and your physiology and your neurology to be healthy enough to navigate into a world like that. Yeah, that that's a really interesting point because I think, uh, and I, I, it makes sense that it would come from somebody who has a, a more of a holistic or, a, you know, Eastern medicine background. But I think we're often, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the popularization of mental health and field of psychology, there we're often taught to look at that as the primary. When a, a lot of times you can have those those symptoms manifest as a result of physiological toxification. And I think we've been so conditioned not to look at that. And uh, I, I'm a bit cynical in this regard because I, I think that's kind of by design. You know, I think they poisoned us from so many different angles, uh, you know, from the environment to the food we eat to, of course, the mental propaganda. Uh, so we're constantly being and then, of course, just the you know, there is the emotional component with uh, as all human beings have incurred some form of trauma. But there's also the mass scale trauma that they weaponize. And then, you know, they they wonder why people have things like anxiety and depression, um, you know, and uh, are, quote unquote, neurodivergent when, uh, well, we're all neurologically unique, one would hope. Uh, so not necessarily that it's a, a pathological disorder. It's a, a symptom of the environment in which we are immersed. And I think we're, we're very conditioned not to look at it that way. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the thoughts, uh, when I really sit with what you just said, I almost want to cry at how courageous we all are. Like as souls, we knew that this is a, can I use that word on your show? Yeah, of course. Up world that our soul said, you know what? I know that my soul is strong enough to handle this this shit. Like, I can do it. I'm going to jump into this crazy mess. I'm going to participate in the alchemization of all of it. Like, can you feel into how freaking brave we are? And that we got poisoned left and right and still on a deep level we know this in our hearts and our bodies and our soul like something is not right we need to build a more peaceful harmonious world that's more sensible it's not working what they've been it's kind of like come it's past the 11th hour it's like the hour now right and and just I just feel so moved by the recognition that we had the guts to jump into this reality to help out in this way. It's really it's amazing that we're doing so well despite all the. And part of it is that I've um I don't know if you know Dr. David Hawkins's work. He's a, a consciousness pioneer. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force. Uh, not yeah, consciousness, um, letting go. A lot of very game-changing books. He's considered a titan in the world of consciousness. Right. So he developed this understanding that as our consciousness expands into higher and higher levels, that our potency, our efficaciousness in really like getting things done in the world becomes exponentially more expansive. So somebody that's operating from a space of 
uh, fear or apathy or, um, you know, guilt or shame, there's a, they're not going to be very powerful. Someone that's operating from a level of, as you go up on his scale, like pride is more powerful than fear. Anger, more powerful than fear. But ultimately, courage is much more powerful than all of this, right? I would argue love is more powerful than all of this, yeah. Exactly. So he developed this whole scale, and it's actually a mathematical scale that's a logarithmic, um, meaning, like, um, I don't have it all memorized, but, like, fear is 100. It means it's 10 to the 100th power. Um, Courage is 200. That's 10 to the 200th power. And love is 500, which means it's... 10 to the 500th power. So if he like listed all the zeros, it gets exponentially so um, logarithmically so expansive that he couldn't fit all the zeros on the scale. So anyway, he did this mathematical thing called the logarithm to make the numbers fit on the page basically. But the idea is calibrated mathematically as we expand our consciousness, as we operate from a space of love, is a totally different game than operating from a space of fear or guilt or shame. And in these last three years, a lot of the agendas at play were based on fear and guilt and shame, wasn't it? A lot of it wasn't even fear, like not that powerful. Guilt and shame is like much, it's like you're being guilted and shamed into doing all these things in these last few years. That's actually a sign that is coming from a very weak consciousness. Yeah. Through his mathematical analysis, he discovered that um, at 200 level on the map, um, that's courage. Below 200, everything he calls force because you have to kind of like coerce and be pushy and forceful to get anything done because you're very weak. You have to be pushy to 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 create anything. Above 200 at courage. Now you're more self-empowered. You're inspired to to bring positive change in a non-pushy energy. And so he calls it power because things start flowing for you. As you keep going up further higher to love at the 500 level, then your life becomes dominated by miracles and synchronicities and things just flow naturally. And so he discovered that one person operating from a 500 consciousness of love is as powerful as 750,000 people who are operating from the sub-200 consciousness, the negativities of fear and guilt and shame and all that. Even pride. I would just, if I can just be very honest, those of us in the, quote, freedom movement and truth movement, let's check ourselves. Are we operating from a space of pride? Or are we operating from a space of love? Let's keep checking ourselves because pride is actually a sub 200 level um, place that actually isn't that powerful. So if we want to be effective at bringing change, we have to do a lot of inner work. You can't fake this stuff, right? Like, right, right. Get to that space where you feel very, you feel this sense of peace and harmony and wholeness from the inside out. And then we can build the new beautiful world. Otherwise, we bring the old baggage in. We're going to create the same drama over and over again. Right. No, that's a very, very uh, powerful point for sure. 
I, I, I would argue fear, too. I think fear is, I mean, I know that's one of the bottom ones, but I think a lot of the freedom movement is driven by fear because a lot of us spend so much time, uh, you know, so entrenched in the, a very dark milieu. A lot of what's going on is, is pretty dark. A lot of people don't want to look at what's going on because it is so dark. So, you know, I think, and I, I think a lot of people are motivated to do something because as humans, we don't like the feeling of being helpless and powerless. So we want to do something because we are fearful, um, but it would be yeah, more to powerful. Be clear, yeah. To be clear, I hope people don't think that I'm trying to be like, oh, love and light. We're no, no, yeah, yeah. I. Like we need to encounter the fear. We need to encounter the grief. We need to encounter the shame. It's just that to 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 bring unconditional love into those spaces and be right. with it and and allow those things to move through us and not get stuck in it and not be building the so-called beautiful new world from a space of guilt or shame or or fear or you know like all those levels like let's let's work through those things together let's clean it up so that as we move into building a future let's let's build it from a space that is clean and clear and we've resolved the baggage of the past right no i i i'm glad you clarified that that i i did understand that's what you meant but what i'm curious what what do you see for the future what what would building a new world look like to you um i'm here because i don't totally know and i'm super excited but i do feel uh, um this like inner alignment with the piece of the puzzle that i'm called to participate in yeah in world i think um there's this like lone wolf energy that we need to shed now many of us were the um some people call it the black sheep in our family right right psychedelic multidimensional sheep in the family that like tapped into higher intelligences like we were the multidimensional expansive consciousness sheep in our family <laughs> and um, and yeah so we had to kind of tough it out for a long time i think we felt like we were the one weirdo that saw through the bs and the different agendas and so now that identity maybe doesn't serve us anymore mm -hmm. Right now, it's about us shedding that identity, coming together in collaborative communities of the future. Do we have the skillfulness to let go of the low wolf energy and get into a collaborative trusting energy? Because there's a lot of people that we couldn't trust in the past. So what can we do to heal that so that we can have our discernment leader yeah. not be swindled, not be psyoped and hijacked so easily? A great discernment, great maturity, but also open our hearts to loving and trusting one another. Right. It's a kind of a tall order given the history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not an easy ask. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of inner work so that our inner discernment meter is like really dialed up, like that skillfulness really need to cultivate it because you yeah. want to be able to trust each other because none of us can do this alone we're building a whole new society a whole new world right now you know so there's a lot of this like um doomsday prepper energy of well i need to have this like 10 years of food my bucker and all of this but at the end of the day i think most of us don't want to live like that we want to i don't yeah we want to I really don't <laughs> 
And how many bullets are you going to need to fend out the other people? I would rather live in a world where everybody's healed themselves and we can just get along and live in peace and harmony. And we have um, the villages of the future. That's not like a cult-like commune. We all have our separate pieces of land, but we help each other out and, you know, be private and mind our own business, but come together as community to collaborate. But, you know, not like, um, not like those kind of like, communes are like it's a different vision i really love the anastasia and ringing cedar series and that whole body of work that our friend uh, gabriel miguel is so eloquent in articulating the the future civilization where we live in harmony with nature and with the land but we're not living in like communes we're living in he calls them settlements in the anastasia books but like villages of the future where we can raise our children together, but we also can be free to be individuals and mind our own business in the future. Anyway, there's a lot of selfness that we need to cultivate in order to be ready for the life of freedom that we keep saying we want. Do we have all the skills to live the, the, the freedom villages of the future? It's a big question. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have all the skills. That That's why I think the community aspect is really important because people need to be able to depend on each other for whatever skills and talents and gifts. We all have different ones, right? So we all have different passions as well. So, you know, while, what what's interesting for one person to cultivate is not necessarily the same for, for another, but we can work together and hopefully, you know, build together. I think a lot of it is like all of us trusting that that if I show up as my best self, yeah, um, expressing my unique gifts, that I trust that that will be valuable to the village, right? That and then the the things that I'm, you know, the skills that I don't have, I don't hold lots of anxiety about it. I trust that that will be magnetized into the community that we all can take care of each other because we really need each other right now. Yeah. Well, I think we need each other in general. We're social creatures. You know, humans are not meant to live in isolation. And that's what they tried to do over the past few years. And we saw how that worked out. It wasn't wasn't so good for many people. So I'm curious as a... Um, as someone who, with your background in medicine, where do you see the future of medicine going? Because I'm personally seeing a lot of people uh, move into more alternative spaces, uh, both on the patient side as well as practitioners, uh, just over the past, you know, after what happened in the past few years. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a whole journey that needs to happen. And with the education space that I'm so focused on now, I really yeah. started articulating the journey of growing up and question asking that needs to happen before we land into the future reality. And yeah. I realize that is not education, but it's medicine, it's all the systems. Um, I can kind of briefly articulate it with, with medicine. Yeah. What's happened is that a lot of people woke up to, you know, Western medicine is limited because it's basically sick care or it's uh, their their treatments are um, sometimes life saving and often very toxic and dangerous. And so the first step many people take is like, oh, instead of taking this drug, let me try this supplement. Yeah, I see that. I'm like, well, it's still a pill for nil, right? It's the same mindset. So the mindset has not shifted at all. Right. I realized that's I because I sat with it for so long. How is it that 
like 90% of my holistic natural medicine colleagues got, it's just like bought into the whole thing. Like what? I am like, what is it? It turns out it's like an orientation towards this deeper trust. Like my body is divinely designed. I trust. I listen deeply within. If I have symptoms, I trust the intelligence of this symptom. Let me be still enough to listen to what my body is requesting. What am I supposed to learn from this? And what loving support system I can give to my body to move through with these symptoms and not be stuck at this place. Right. Work with the intelligence to move through it um, versus, oh my God, I have this symptom. What can I do to, so you can still use natural medicine for some suppression. And like, I, you know, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get sick. Right. Like, so there's a whole um, mindset of really is a worldview shift that says, you know, life is here for me and I'm confident within myself. I'm confident that everything in life is figure outable, that I don't need to be stuck and I can move through it, that everything in life happens so that I can learn and grow and evolve and become a hopefully wiser, smarter version of myself, you know, mm-hmm. that entire worldview shift really has to happen with medicine. It's like trusting in the divine intelligence of how we were designed and working with it instead of suppressing it. Right. So natural medicine, that is is really not about like, like Western medicine's um, drugs and surgeries and injections that's definitely one piece of the puzzle but the bigger question is can we return to trusting the innate intelligence of our bodies and trusting the innate intelligence of life and learning to live a lifestyle that's in harmony with nature's wisdom again and also this idea of like looking at external authorities to tell us what to do with our lives including our health versus yeah, the ability to ask for help. I wonder what you think. I would consult with different experts, but ultimately I have the ability to like really get still within myself, weigh all my options, and allow my body and my heart and my inner intuitive guidance system to tell me which of these choices are for my highest good at any moment. That inside-out orientation is the biggest shift that needs to happen. As a holistic practitioner, I love working with people like that. It's actually a crappy feeling. If somebody wants to give their power away to me, I don't want that responsibility. Even though my appointments with your 90 minutes instead of 10 minutes, you as the patient or client, you're with your own body 24 7, 365. Who's going to be the expert? Like, <laughs> there's no way that I could. You know, I can share with you my 20 years of clinical experience in general for conditions like this. This is what I found really helpful for people. But please, you be the boss of your own life. I am your minion. I just work for you, you know. So that's the orientation shift that really needs to happen in medicine and in all of the systems, all the aspects of life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more, and I think that was so beautifully said. Uh, and I, it also brings up the whole uh, you know concept of fear, right? A lot of medicine is very fear driven, and uh, you're you're really talking about reorienting, you know, uh, a paradigm shift outside of that where there's trust, and so therefore you're not afraid. But I think that, that there's so much conditioning. Uh, certainly, I think Big Pharma has a lot invested in driving the fear so that we want to purchase solutions. But if we weren't afraid, then we wouldn't be rushing to, you know, purchase 
purchase solutions or take injections or have surgeries, right? We would yeah, try to- I guess, right. I guess um, there's like, there's higher laws at play and that whole paradigm ends in self-destruction ultimately. So I'm kind of of the mindset, those of us who are listening to this conversation is just yeah. like, you know, maybe we just like get out of the way, let it self-destruct and focus on living the new reality. Mm-hmm. At, um, and there are wonderful, good-hearted doctors and nurses. Oh, this, totally. And they're looking to kind of like take the tools mm-hmm. on that system and oriented towards a new consciousness. Like, so I'm excited for to see all of those solutions emerging. You know, yeah. there's doctors and nurses that I hear are building the PMA hospitals of the future mm-hmm. and different consciousness that respects individual choice and also is more oriented towards um, recognizing that uh, these tools that Western medicine offers can be life-saving if used. In- oh, yeah right situation, but they also have the humility to know that there's this whole world called nurturing health and healing that Western medicine hasn't addressed at all, and that we have a lot of um, ancient timeless traditions for how to do that, from Chinese medicine to Ayurveda to homeopathy to all these, you know, like so many uh, natural ways of nurturing and building health and longevity that... um, that I'm excited to see how all of that emerges into the future. Yeah, no, I am too. I, I'm definitely seeing a lot more people move into that direction, even people who are much more traditional, uh, you know, whether they be Western medicine doctors or nurses, but still incorporating more of the free choice and, you know, respecting the patient doctor relationships. And, you know, I, I think it's a it's merging into a place where people are starting to bridge that gap and, uh, yeah, I think it's exciting to see where that'll go. It's like a wave of, um, you know, cymatics. Cymatics is the study of how, like, a vibration, usually mm-hmm. sound through a medium, can change the physical reality. There's a wave of energy, a new consciousness that's just sweeping through, whether you like it or not, that's and right. it's causing the crumbling of old systems and is making many of us feel this unstoppable, uncontrollable need to be participating and building the new like I can't even stop talking about this stuff it's so freaking exciting and I get all like impassioned this is because this energy is moving through us right now and it's unstoppable so basically in my opinion it's like uh yeah that I just not even spending energy on watching the old system crumble because it's so exciting to focus on building the new well, that is awesome. I love that because uh, I, I do worry that the old systems will crumble and I think there will be a lot of chaos left um, as a result of that. And I also think that there isn't really a transition put installed quite yet to move to new systems. Like the new systems aren't quite uh, ready for, you know, to, to replace. So what what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that like we will be able to build parallel systems and that it'll be a smooth transition? Do you think we're going to have a a period of uh, mass chaos and a difficult transition? What do you think it'll look like? I think there will be many simultaneous parallel realities happening. Some of us will have a chaotic experience of it, Mm -hmm. but some of us, probably many of your listeners, had the grief and heartache of having to kind of like separate a bit from friends and family 
but then seeing that like you're like living in the same town but everybody's experiencing a very different reality and i had the blessing of experiencing yeah there's a lot of grief about all the people that behaved in strange ways that i'm sure i looked like i was behaving in a strange way to them too but it's just because that we were physically maybe living in the same town and kind of like in like like seemingly our bodies are next to each other but we were actually inhabiting a different parallel reality right so if i were just to if i could just be honest if i'm like objectively looking at how wonderful my life has been the last three years it's been beautiful it's been synchronicity after synchronicity of awesome people like you and alec and mark gober just like boom 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 all this beauty and all these wonderful new communities and people that i talked to that the moment i talked to them we hit it off like soul family like what is that yeah magic and all of this that's possible i mean so it's like simultaneously a lot of grief and a lot of joy at the same time Mm -hmm. and i think we're just being presented like which channel do we want to operate from i want to take time for the grief but I want to operate from the space of the joy and the inspiration when it comes to building the solutions, you know. And so I think everybody is um, who's really focusing there. This is also a mind mastery game right now. It's a little bit of a video game where there's like all these side distractions. It's like, okay, focus on where where are you going? Right, right. There's all these things that are noisy in the periphery. It's not that you're not aware of it, but you are aware of it to know how to navigate an Aikido around it and focusing on where are you actually going? What is this beautiful world that we're all feeling in our hearts and want to manifest into reality? Like focus, focus, focus. It's a mind mastery game. Yeah, I feel that for sure, for sure. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What are your thoughts? So how did you get you right now? You're very focused on the education and, uh, new paradigm of education, which is super exciting to me because I I think ultimately the children have really suffered. Um, and, you know, the, to build a new world for them, I think is, you know, really paramount for the future of humanity. So what, what prompted that for you? And what, uh, how did you get involved in creating this new model? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of interesting stories with that too. It's going to become like storytelling hour. Yeah. So I've been a holistic Chinese medicine doctor and exploring meditation and all of that. And in 2013, I felt called to do a really deep meditation. 
that ultimately pivoted me into parenthood in a surprising kind of way. Um, 2013, I went to this dark room meditation retreat in Thailand that was 11 days with nine days and nine nights in complete darkness. Wow. And it was a profound, life-changing, clear darkness. Complete darkness. So it's a special building. Now it's gotten more and more popular. There's uh, other facilities around the world. Um, this particular facility I went to is um, at the retreat center of Mantachia. It's called Tao Gardens. And the meditation teacher, her name is Jasmine Heen. Um, I hope it's okay to plug Alec has an amazing interview with Jasmine Heen on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if ever you want that out, she's an incredible being. Anyway, so she was leading this meditation retreat and um, she rents out that building from Mantachia's retreat center. And it's like 30 or 40 people at a time that can be in this building. It's completely pitch black. So the first thing you go in, they turn on lights because there's running water, electricity, all the modern amenities. The, the bedrooms are in the perimeter and there's a meditation hall at the center. So you can um, have your own private space. And so the first day the lights are on so you can sit, get yourself situated. Like here's the bed, here's the chair, here's the bathroom. I'm going to put my toothpaste and toothbrush here and all of this. And here's my meditation mat in the hall. So you spend the whole first day learning how to navigate this building so that when it's lights out, right, and handle it. So it lights out nine days and nine nights in complete darkness. And it was this profound experience of so much healing, so much integration, so many insights. You can't read a book. You can't see anything. It's just like you with the energy and your thoughts and wow. um, the first or three days you sleep a bunch, most people do sleep a bunch. And after that, you're so well rested that you're in this visionary state for basically like, you know, in my case, seven days straight of so many insights, guides visiting, integrating what I'm doing here in this life and remembering past lives and visions for the future. So many things happen. That's a whole separate conversation. Mm -hmm. I came out of dark room. That first moment coming out of dark room, like you start to, you you come out during sunset time when the light is not too bright and you wear uh, um, sunglasses so that you can transition into yeah. the world. And I was like, I started, I saw every flower, every leaf, every tree, the sunset. It was just so insanely beautiful. And it was like, it's always this insanely beautiful. It's just most of the time we don't have the eyes to see it. This life, this life is so insanely beautiful. And um, it might even sound trite to say something like that, but it was for me um, that, that integration of when in 2003 I had my first experience, it helped me to realize like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm in this body. I am living a reality that can be so beautiful if I just have the eyes to see it. Right. And when I came back to San Francisco, everything just looked different and felt different. And um, I was back at the clinic working with clients and my intuition, I'm like, oh my goodness, I just know things and I could perceive things and I could see energy patterns. And sometimes I could see into the patterns of energies in their livers, in their kidneys. Like, wow, this is really helpful. My intuition and sensitivity had been so enhanced that clinically working with clients to support their healing was very useful. Sure. But at night, 
I was like, how can I turn this off? It's so noisy in the city, you know, like the 5G and the Wi-Fi and then all the neighbors and all their stressful thoughts. It was so noisy. I couldn't tolerate it. Wow. And I didn't know how to turn it off. So I basically dragged my husband and moved to the countryside, an hour plus outside the country, outside the city. Wow. And I still commute in three days a week to see my clients at the clinic. But the rest of the time, I just had to decompress and be in nature. Wow. So that was like an acre of land, fruit trees and gardens and a tiny little, very humble little cottage. Just nature, sunshine, fresh air, no 5G towers, hardly any cell phone reception. And we just had my, our one Wi-Fi hub, which we would turn off whenever we weren't using. And it was just like, okay, I can integrate now. And so many things happen where I was just like, wow, who am I when I'm just in nature, sunshine during the day and sleep in darkness at night? Who am I when every day I didn't have to like, oh, I should go ground. So let me like go through these city city concrete jungles to get to a little parklet to take off my shoes and go barefoot on bare earth. I just walk out the door and I was grounding all day. Just walk out the door. There's beautiful full spectrum sunlight during the day. At night, I naturally just like felt sleepy because it was dark. And I just was like, wow, who am I when I'm living in harmony with nature's energies and rhythms again? Right. And that's when this little baby started visiting me every day in my meditations and my dreams. And it was like, hello, I know you weren't planning to have a kid, but I'd really like to be your kid. And so every night I would go to sleep and I had dreams. I would go traveling and having these play dates with this little baby. And he would just teach me things. And we became friends for months. And um, he started saying, you know, I know you guys are hesitating about becoming parents because you guys don't resonate with the, what you've been shown about education and parenthood in this world. And... And I agree, but I have to have a body to show you a new way. There was this one time he visited where he showed me this incredible scene of like an ocean of babies, all these orbs of light of all these babies that he said, look at us. We've all scoured the cosmos and decided now's the time we want to come to earth. We've all chosen specific communities and specific parents to incarnate into the families that can facilitate us in bringing a new possibility of what it is to be human. So there's no accident here. The, the intricacy and elegance of the timing and choice of incarnation, geographic location, which family, all these families will eventually become a worldwide network of conscious families that we all support each other in showing the world a new way of doing family life, village life, new way of raising children, new ways of educating them. But I need a body to do that. So can you please like conceive me already? And um, and my husband, every time he would visit, would be like, oh, I'm not ready. It's so expensive in Northern California to raise children. So oh, yeah. Thing was like, we were barely like keeping our bills paid. It's like, we don't have space to like, you know, like it's too expensive to raise kids. And um, he had all these objections. And then finally our boy visited him in a dream. 
Wow. End of yoga class, he was like, just he's an athlete, so he goes to yoga to stretch, and he was in Shavasana, and our boy came to him. And then after that, he was like, okay. We compared notes about how, what he looked like. He was like, yeah, he, he's pretty cute. I'll consider it. And so during that time, it was like the energy was so strong. People would come visit our little cottage. It was like, hey, I can feel a baby. Is there a baby here? And we're like, no. And we didn't really tell people that a baby had been visiting regularly. And But people could feel a sense like, you're going to have a baby, I think. And so, yeah, there was this certain day, the certain moment where we could feel his presence really strong. And we just both knew that that was the time of his conception. So we had this amazing experience that's kind of hard to describe of consciously calling him in, conceiving him. And as soon as conception happened, there was this this breathing cycle, this energy that pulsated in my womb that I already knew that, okay, that was conception. There's a pulsation of breath and life in my womb. And so there was no need to take a pregnancy test, but I did after uh, six weeks into it that I thought I better test to just make sure the HCG levels are like healthy and normal. But I didn't do ultrasounds or anything. I had already met him. I knew he was going to be healthy and I had been shown um, what he looked like when he was two or three. I'd been shown him as a spirit baby. I just I had all this um, precognitive visions that had been shown to me of our lives together during the first few years of his life. Wow. So I felt totally confident. I already knew he was a boy. I knew what he looked like. And all throughout pregnancy, there was like, hey, what what kind of birth? is suitable to you. What kind of food do you want to eat? He was like my buddy already. So it was pretty easy to go through the whole pregnancy journey. And we had a wonderful life-changing water birth. And when he was three and a half, he started saying, hey, my sister is still in space. She needs to come now. Really? You have a sister? Anyway, so we connected with her and she he told you he had a sister? Yeah, and so we also knew she was a girl, and we didn't do any tests. We just was like, oh, it's a girl, and we connected with her and conceived her. And so we had these two life-changing home birth experiences guided by the baby saying, this is how I want to land. I want a very soft and gentle home birth landing. And um, this is a little bit of a long story, but I want to share because, because I found myself falling into the home birth journey. It wasn't like, I'm like a home birth activist. I'm anti-hospital. It was just what was called forth by the child and by our relationship that we had cultivated even pre-conception. So when it came time to like do make any choices, it was like, yeah, it just seems natural to, you know, co-sleep and people are like, oh, you guys are co-sleeping. I'm like, is there a term for that? Like, like, oh, okay, co-sleeping. Yes, 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 that's what we're doing. They're like, oh, it's about rye parenting and i looked it up it's like oh parent in such a way that you talk to your baby even though they're pre-verbal babies mm-hmm. you talk to them as if they're a sovereign like individual respect right. them yes and i'm like wow that's really interesting there's a whole system around that instead of just just being like inherently obvious then this is a being that, you know, in this case, I had become friends with him all these months before he was conceived. So, of course, there's a level of like love and respect. And right. I recognize that he had a very um, intentional, purposeful 
a journey of asking to be conceived during a very specific time. Like there's deep respect for all of that. I would never be like, yeah, you know, I own you. I'm going to tell you to sit down, shut up and do all this stuff. It's like, I know you already have a divine path that you had come in with. That is my job to uncover and discover that and listen to that, you know? So when I came to school time, I was like, oh, preschool, let's choose the most holistic, all natural type of school where they like eat organic and they were able to be gluten-free and a paleo and all the things and um, indoor, outdoor, beautiful gardens and lots of fresh air and climbing trees and rocks and just wonderful people. And he at first it started going okay but as he started having more language skills to articulate he started saying mama why do i eat snacks when the teacher says snack time i want to eat snacks when my body says hungry not when teacher says snack time and i don't like it i don't i don't want to go pee pee and poo poo when they say it's potty break time i want to pee pee and poo poo when my body says pee pee and poo poo and he started saying all these kinds of things in his four-year-old kind of way. And I it, it clicked for me. For 20 years as a holistic practitioner with people with severe illnesses that have been told is incurable, there's nothing you can do about it, it's complicated, all this stuff. The sweet spot with every one of those cases was when people clicked back into this is my body. I'm going to listen deeply and love myself fully and do what is the kindest nurturing thing that my body is asking for. Yeah. And that I always had this question like, huh, it's so weird. It seems so simple. How do we get so disconnected from there? And here's my four year old show me this is where it started for everybody. And I started yeah. watching the older kids as they get a prepare them to transition to kindergarten to first grade. I was like, oh, wow, their routines as they get older and older is more and more rigid, like Pavlovian training. Ding, now you go to the music class. Ding, now you go to the reading class. Ding, now you can do arts and crafts. Oh, you're not done? Hurry up and wrap it up because the hour's up. Ding, now you got to do this. It's like, okay, you're just like being herded around, even though they're all holistic activities. Right. But you're on a deep level you're telling the kid there's an agenda here you better follow this other agenda whether you like it or not and it looks so innocuous like so wonderful they're holistic right wonderful arts and crafts wonderful music nature time building time but there's a agenda you better follow it and i was like huh is this a force and damaging yeah and, and he didn't give us a choice he started kicking and screaming i was like i'm not going Wow. So we had to pull him out because it was just embarrassing. Like every single day, the kicking and screaming. And I would go in there with him. He's like, okay, well, go in there. And then I would see him. He's really into building engineering projects. And then they would be like, ding, let's go over here to music. And right. he's like, what is wrong with these people? Like he had this look on his little four-year-old face. Like, what kind of humans are these? Like, don't they see I'm building this epic structure here? This is like, you know, like, like Michelangelo creation. And I'm building, you know, like this Taj Mahal. And, and they don't see that that's very rude that I have to stop there and do their music or story time. What is wrong with you people? He had this look and he was telepathically, he didn't have the language to say, like, it's very frustrating to me. 
And so after we pulled him out, he started thriving like you wouldn't believe. He was just in like building, building, building. Mama, I want to read this book. He was just so self-directed. He's like, I want to do this. I want to learn that. I want to go with you to the market. And I so he would go with us to the farmer's market and he was learning all this math. And it would be at the school hour that we would go to the market. And the kids, the the uh, farmers would be like, why is your kid not in school? And we say, oh, we homeschool, except we're not at home and we're not at school <laughs> for me right now. And so they're like, oh, okay. So they would teach my kids like uh, adding, subtracting, multiplication. And then one day just before my boy was um, two weeks before he turned seven, he was like, Mama, I think I'm pretty good at math because he'd been doing lemonade stands and going to the markets. And he was like, I started uh, giving him like just $20 a month of allowance money. And he started doing all these calculations to budget or, you know, like, oh, maybe I should invest this in my lemonade stand or maybe I should save it up for next month so I can buy a $40 toy and all this stuff, right? Like real life application. He got really good at arithmetic. So I'm like, let's go on Khan Academy. And in a matter of two weeks, I, I hope this doesn't sound too braggy mom. I'm sharing this because it it turns out this is very common yeah. in this directed learning world where one day the kid is just into it and you're like, wow, let's like, let's do some activities. And he's like, I want to go do lots of math now because I think I'm good at math. Okay, let's check it out. We go on Khan Academy in two weeks. He did every single lesson from right. beginning and for all of first grade, all of second grade. Then we took a break and he kind of fits and spurs once or twice a week with chip away at third grade. Then he started chipping away at fourth grade. And he was like, Mama, I think before I turned eight, I could finish fourth grade. Well, sure. So no pressure, but he ended up like going through it pretty well. So he ended up finishing all of fifth grade before he turned eight. And now he's almost done with sixth grade. And, uh, and, you know, if he was in any school, even a holistic alternative school, like he he would say things like, Mama, sometimes I do math and it really helps if I'm jumping up and down or if I hang myself upside down. And he would just get the answers. Sometimes he would say, Mama, the best time for me to do math is 6 p.m. Because like usually we've gone for a hike in the afternoon or something moved our body, um, but I'm not too sleepy yet. And in that evening time, he says, I can grab answers from space. Wow. Well, do things like roll his eye up and be like, the answer is big, whatever. And like, yeah, that's the correct answer. But can you show your steps? And he'd backpedal and back engineer the steps because right. I, I'm like, I, I, I did that as a kid. I, I totally get it. Um, yeah. So, I, and yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. So like. Like, how can we customize education to nurture this, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so many things about education to explore, like how we tell kids, hey, pay attention, don't daydream. But the daydreaming, the imagination, the image, how we create reality, right? Like, that is so... Um, so sad for humankind that all the genius and creativity and yep. imagination is suppressed because yep. we not only don't encourage it is one thing we literally like punish kids. We do for for daydreaming and right? stigmatize them. Yeah, not only punish but stigmatize. 
you know, I I don't know how familiar you are with my story, but one of the things they had sent me to, like, a, they called it a rubella clinic. It was at the Roosevelt Institute. It was the only one left because just of the time period. Um, but, you know, they had told my mom that she could hope was find a nice institution for me to spend my life. And they were not very hopeful. But one of the things they kept saying was that I was going to be uh, retarded and autistic. And uh, the Roosevelt Clinic was the first ones that said they weren't worried about me at all. And my my mom said, really? Why, why do you say that? Because nobody says that, you know, didn't you really wanted some hope? And uh, they said, so I created because I'm visually and hearing impaired. And I, you know, were, I didn't get hearing aids till I was almost six. I learned how to speak by reading lips. But because I was visually impaired, I wore a patch over my sighted eye every other day of my childhood. So I was essentially, you know, almost blind and deaf every other day of my childhood. So I did a lot of mimicking to try and learn how to speak, how to navigate, um, you know, it was really, and also how to interact. And I created something called Bubble Land. You know, I really love bubbles. A lot of kids do, you know, I blow bubbles. And I would invite other kids to come into Bubble Land with me. You could only get to Bubble Land if I invited you. And in Bubble Land, we pretty much spoke gibberish, but we always understood each other because children are masters of improv, right? You know, it, for those who don't know, the, the the primary rule of improv is yes and. You can't say no but, you can't say but what, why, or, you know, it's always yes and, and they just play along. And children are masters of this because they're curious and they're playful and they have vivid imagination. And so we pretty much understood each other because so much of communication, especially at that age, is nonverbal. And... What they told my mom is they said her imagination is her coping mechanism. She has realized that she's different. She realizes she doesn't fit into the mainstream, quote unquote, uh, world, and that she has to create a bridge in order to understand how to fit into that world and relate to others. But she realizes she can't jump into it. So she's created like an intermediary. I don't know what their language was, but this is essentially, you know, what they were explaining to my mom, that my imagination is what saved me and was also what showed them that I was going to be okay. And so, you know, as an adult looking at what's happening to children and the education system, you know, I, I, I now realize that it's been problematic for a very long time. But looking at how they're moving, they're progressing into all this technology, uh, they're siloing them into these screens, essentially into the metaverse, and they don't have the opportunity to develop their imaginations to ground, to interact even with each other. You know, they're so uh, focused on these technological uh, mechanisms, it robs them. I mean, even just the act of reading, you use a lot more imagination than you do when you're spoon-fed videos. Hey, you have to figure out in your head, like, what do these characters look like? What do they sound like? How are they interacting with each other? You create that world in your head and you're filling in the gap. And that to rob children of that opportunity stunts them. It stunts them psychologically, emotionally, cognitively, you know, in every way possible. And it's I, I think it's really tragic. But yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. The other thing I wanted to comment on is that listening to these stories about your son um, is that I, I, you know, when I was talking about, I think their agenda is to lead us into a transhuman, ultimately post-human world. But one of the ways they've done this, because they are masters of incrementalism, is to create the disembodiment. And that's what resonated so much hearing your stories with your son, is that he's really integrating as a whole being. You know, you talk about him being essentially a soul, a spirit who has chosen this path, but he needed a body, right? That's what makes us human. In this life, we we inhabit a physical body and it is the integration. It's We're not 
you know, the Descartesian dualism has, uh, has been answered, right? Where it's not mind or body. We are mind, body, and spirit. We are an integrated and to separate us into these, you know, compartmentalized aspects really robs us of the full human experience. And I think it hurts children. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I think there's a lot of, um, rightfully so, there's some fear around what's happening with technology. But this new generation of children, if we support them in the right way, sure. I have seen that part of the vision is that they're participating in the healing of our relationship with technology too. So it's about, it's, it's really about, um, are they integrated mm-hmm. and embodied and yeah. able to, just like you, create a bubble? Mm-hmm where they can interact with this metaverse world and it doesn't, they don't lose themselves. They say right. in their center, they don't get distorted. They real, they have a really clean and clear energetic boundary that is like, oh, that is a, a metaverse world I right. there. And I don't lose myself. I don't get all distorted. I'm right. still in my natural human state here, observing almost like a an anthropologist like oh what is this fun thing what like i i don't have to be scared of it i can have a little fun here a little fun here but i'm here i'm embodied well they still have their own identity and the integrity of that yeah i will just clarify i don't think technology itself is evil it's not inherent technology it's a tool you know and it can be used for good or bad you know and i I think the intentionality behind it matters much more technology can be beautiful i mean we're conversing across the country through technology, right? And I'm able yeah, to... Yeah, I, I think this is like a, a huge piece of the curriculum yeah. move forward for all of us, adults too, but with sure. children to really participate in these deep and intentional dialogues and yes. skillfulness and exercising our muscles of navigating the technological world with wise, intentional use of our time and our energy and making sure that like just observing that, that there is both the gift and the dangers that are at right. play. Exactly. So it's just, um, it's like this, it's like first time you have your kid, uh, you know, chop vegetables with you in the kitchen. And uh-huh. it's like, okay, watch me chop. And you, you see how I'm very like present and I'm careful where I place my fingers, you know, like right. first time your kid crosses the street, you teach them how to look left, right, left and all of that. So with technology, it's just like it requires a tremendous amount of skillfulness. So we accompany each other in cultivating the skillfulness with it, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's a you you respect the you, you respect anything that's powerful, right? So anything powerful, like a knife could be very dangerous. You obviously don't want your child to chop their fingers off. But that doesn't mean that they don't use the knife ever because you want them to learn how to cook and possibly even defend themselves with the knife. That could be something they might need to know. So, yeah, it's it's teaching them to respect the power of something, not necessarily to be afraid of it. You know, it's a you having a background in martial arts. I think this would resonate. But to you, know, when you respect the power of something, then, you know, that's part of what uh, mastery is about. Right. You you master those skills. You craft uh, you hone your craft, uh, but you're not afraid of it. But that doesn't mean you don't respect that it could be dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm sorry, I I totally uh, interrupted. But so, yeah. So your son really gave you all of these, uh, you know, kind of directions of what he needed, and then you 
and then we just kind of followed along and just keep witnessing like miracle and surprise and delight and it's healing my own inner child and all of my old patterns of my upbringing of being coerced right. and i turned out to be pretty good at math i have a math degree from ivy league college and everything but how much more i i certainly wasn't doing sixth or seventh grade math when i was eight years old though <laughs> like yeah. But he does it joyfully with not totally self-directed and just once or twice yeah. a week, like whenever he feels like. It's like it is blowing my mind. I'm I'm getting all kinds of uh like deprogramming that's happening from my upbringing of mm-hmm. having it like, oh, whether you like it or not, sit down, shut up, and um so many things that that gets reprogrammed. It's like, wow. Who are we if we don't have to drag our children up out of bed at whatever 7 a.m. before they're necessarily ready? That super stressful hustle. Pack your bag, get out of their school. Otherwise, you're going to get a truancy or whatever. That whole, like, wait, uh, what is the purpose of school anyway? Is it just to, like, just to show up and, like, be, like, follow a bunch of orders just to look forward to that 10 minutes of recess time and to like there's so many things like and just look forward to having fun only on the weekends and evenings like a life like when you naturally you wake up when you're well rested you naturally eat snacks when you're hungry you naturally learn when you're excited to learn something You, you can learn go really really deep into a topic until you're fully satiated you don't have to be like pavlovian trained to like bing now one hour has passed suddenly you're supposed to like gear switch from math to history it's like what why is it all separated like that so many i hated that they separated yeah. everything. I'm like, it's all related. Why Why do we have to just, like learn in like isolated compartments? It makes no sense at all. Yeah. Sorry. There's a lot of people having these kinds of conversations and gradually over these years, because I tend to be a systems thinker, mm-hmm. I started and also I go into a visionary state and I see into what will be arising in the future. And the, right. um, the vision got clarified that there's a, the, the big picture of what is happening to education, there's a journey that we're going through, and I call it a six-phase transition into ultimately going beyond homeschooling, beyond unschooling, into a paradigm that I'm calling luminous education. Mm-hmm. That is the arising of groups of self-directed, interest-led, joy-filled, passion-led learners that includes parents, and educators and children coming together in communities that I'm calling them learning villages mm-hmm. because it's a village experience and it's a weaving together of the best threads that we've discovered actually works, but is from a new consciousness where we recognize that every child has an innate kind of internal curriculum that wants to express itself. That we, we do the deeper soul searching work to ask, you know, what is the purpose of this life? What is the purpose of education? What does it mean to be human? These questions that can go really, really deep. And then this new consciousness that is arising through all of us. What is the education that nurtures the full blossoming of our consciousness and our best gifts and offerings into the physical world? Like, what does that look like? And if we really deeply respect and honor each other, we never coerce any, like coercive learning isn't, true learning anyway no 
it's just a jumping through hoops to stay out of trouble and avoid punishment. Like, right. what is that? Like, it's just so, it's just utterly stupid, you know? Yeah. So, so we're, we've, we've outgrown that paradigm, but what does the new paradigm look like? I think that there's a journey of inner work that needs to happen as we kind of unfold through this discovery process into the new paradigm of these future learning villages. And um, if we have time, I'd love to like go through the six phases. Yeah, yeah, listen, I, I definitely have time. I'm curious uh, if we can before you have a daughter as well, right? And I'm curious about her her uh, learning experience and how it contrasts. Could you give us a little bit of that? And and then, well, yeah. Because she was never asked to go to school. She yes. It's very funny because uh, I have all these like little workbooks sitting around the house that in the initial days of my my older boy, I tried to be like, hey, do you want to do some workbooks? He's like, no, no. <laughs> so, so she's like, what's this? And they're sitting around the house and she's naturally at age two or three wanting to draw ABCs and her language skills are superb. And so so she's very, the two kids are so different. Sure. So that's another very humbling journey of realizing that it's just all about being very present with the mm-hmm. kid works for one kid doesn't necessarily work for the other but there's an underlying thread of like let's be present with each other let's respect each other let's figure out what works for everybody there's no dogma here it's just like right. like it it when you're present with the kid is super obvious what works for them you know right just right. we have to get get together with a group of 30 or 40 kids in a classroom it just becomes like like crowd management, there's no chance to be present with each kid to nurture their own learning path, you know? So the the future, there's like a lot of things like micro schools and smaller groups of communities coming together. I think it'll it'll be more like, yeah, it'll be smaller groups and a lot more honoring and customizing and it'll, it'll look very different in different communities right because it's like the flip from factory farming to permaculture where permaculture has like depending on which system we follow like 12 principles right like you follow the principles but how it manifests can be very different depending on the local conditions and the needs and wants and desires and visions of the local people but there's an energy and a consciousness and a feeling that you feel that it's like respecting the land working in harmony with it like nurturing it versus like pushing our agenda one size fit all dogmatically regardless of you know like what anybody feels like the the factory model like you can feel the difference you know sure Yes. The six phases. Yeah, please tell me. When I share this with groups, a lot of people are like light bulbs go off. Um, So I hope that is helpful to the audience. And the six phases of transition in education really mirrors like an inner journey that we're all going through. And it's a very similar journey in all the other aspects of life, like in uh, medicine, for sure. We talked about that, finance, all the other sectors of life. there's a journey that is like an external system change, but there's an internal change that is happening in all of us. So with education, I would say out of the six steps, like phase one is the default public school, not just because you're putting your kid there, but because you haven't even asked any questions about it. <laughs> right. Well, because everybody does it. Mm-hmm. So that's nobody that's listening to this call and I, uh, if your kids are in public school, you're probably very thoughtful and intentional about it. I'm not talking about that. 
Right. It's, it's like totally no questions. Um, default public school system. There's a lot of people that are awake and aware and wanting to participate in building a beautiful world. But at this moment, the new structures and systems aren't quite all there yet. So right. you're like, for now, maybe I'll just do public school one more year because right now that's what's working. But you've got like half a foot out the door already, right? Oh, that right. might be your audience. Sure. But many of us, have been asking questions for a long time. And a lot of our communities, we've been in alternative schools like Waldorf Steiner schools or mm -hmm. Montessori schools or different kinds of like uh, alternative styles of schools that are um, offering a more uh, practical curriculum. Like the, the Waldorf system that is holistic and honors mind, body, spirit. They've got this head, heart, hands thing. They honor the seasonal cycles. They have rituals associated with the different times of the years of the seasons. And it's wonderful. Yeah. So a deeper connection with nature, um, cultivating the children's imagination. There's so many great things about it. The Montessori system, for example, they let the child, they do have a very specific curriculum, but they let the child be self-directed in the pacing. Yeah. They use different, they use the manipulatives and different ways of learning math, for example, that's not just like sit down and do a bunch of workbooks, right? So holistic multimodality and respectful, honoring ways of learning. A lot of us have really appreciated those alternative styles of schools. At least here in California, maybe in some other states, these last three years got us asking so many new questions because even in those holistic alternative type schools, when the different agendas came, it was like, wow, there are some of these teachers that were like, no, we're not going to do that because that's not in alignment with our worldview or philosophy that feels like child abuse. Right. I want to participate in and then others that are just like oh well it turns out they're just also order followers and so you're like wow at the end of the day i realize i'm still putting my kid in a system is it okay to have i mean they're like kind well-meaning strangers but they're at the end of the day strangers raising right. my kid monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday are they really like this whole system that I put my kid in is not working for me anymore? And this idea now that I can work from home, have a more flexible schedule, do I really even need the childcare Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I want to spend more time with my kids. So all the lockdown stuff brought the kids home where the families are spending more time with their kids. And there are many families that are like reconnecting with their kids. It's like, this feels like a strange transition but on some level i'm so glad i get to spend more precious time with my kid like right. i i've been just giving them away to a system like it, it's a big big question asking moment and so a lot of the families that are like okay well if the waldorf schools all these alternative schools are still doing all these protocols and then later like requiring um certain things put into your body I don't know about YouTube. Um, anyway, speaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people like, I don't know how to homeschool, but I need to take my kid out of that system. Right. I'll figure it out. That takes tremendous courage. You see, it took tremendous courage to be like, the default public school system's not working. I'm going to go to this alternative style of school. It's a big change in consciousness. Took a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Now, another big change 
a lot of courage to be like, I don't know how to homeschool, but I will figure it out because what they're doing in the school system, the propaganda of the different political agendas, getting them very confused about their body identities and all these things doesn't feel right. Right. Take the kid out. I don't quite know what I'm doing. I'm scared as SCTIT, but I will figure it out. Congratulations right. to all those families that had that courage. Now, what most people do is what my friend David James Rodriguez calls school at home. Is that true homeschooling? School at home as in I'll download some curriculum and follow the curriculum and just like see what happens. So I'm at the kitchen table, like cracking the whip, doing the workbook, trying to do these curriculums with my kids. And um, it works for a little bit, but at some point the parents start to burn out. Because now you're like running a business, cooking and cleaning, folding laundry, and now you got to like babysit this curriculum. Although you start noticing, wow, how much more efficient when I just, even if I'm following a curriculum, I only need to do it like two hours a day and they got everything done. What were they doing the whole day in school? Were they doing the other six hours? Yeah. So my kid can just like go play the other six hours. Huh, it starts the gears turning. You ask more questions. Right. And as you're present with your kid, you start to see like, oh, my kid's really lighting up when we were exploring this topic. My kid's not into this topic. I wonder if I can find different ways of addressing. You start to, just because you love your kid more than anybody else in the world, you right. can actually want to ask questions and find better and better solutions. But at the end of the day, if you keep rigidly following these like common core curriculum, whether it's Waldorf or Montessori or common core curriculum, at the end of the day, you start to question, like, I'm downloading this curriculum from some dead person. Like, am I, am I really teaching the kid what they're into, what they're interested in, and what's actually useful for real life? You start to ask these questions because you know you're involved. And so a lot of people soften. And they're like, I don't have to so rigidly follow that curriculum, or maybe I could mix and match different things. And then a lot of people drop all of that completely and say, hey, what is this thing called unschooling? You mean we can just do life and the kids will naturally be self-motivated to learn different things. So learn to read and write and math because they're self-interested, self-motivated. What is that? I'm curious. All? Kids want to learn. Yeah. Right. So just... <laughs> So those first three phases, the default public school, the alternative school, the school at home style of homeschooling where you download the curriculum, those are phase one, two, three. All of those are still following. They're very different, but they're similar in that they're all following an externally driven idea of education and a curriculum. Now the hugest flip just happened. Now you're like, what actually works for our family? What is my kid into? Let me listen for that inside out curriculum. Let me tune into, is there an inner curriculum that is already alive in the kid that I can support and facilitate? So that's loosely called unschooling. I don't love that term because unschooling talks about what you're not doing. Right. You're not doing school, but what you're doing is so much richness and awesomeness. You're doing life. You're in the community. You're like living life, doing projects, doing things that like the, the uh, nurturing the natural interests and passions of the kid. To do unschooling or self-directed learning, though, you have to do a huge amount of de-schooling. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I call that phase four, de-schooling. 
phase five, unschooling or self-directed learning, they iterate. As you try to do self-directed learning, layers and layers and layers of deprogramming has to happen, especially for the parents or the tutors or educators that are facilitating this. It's a oh. huge mindset shift. Huge. Yeah. And reparenting, healing your inner child, so many things, your relationship with authority, your relationship with being solid and centered within yourself, listening deeply to your inner cup compass, your inner joy, right. your inner passions is a huge leap that happens. And that's that's the massive amount of inner work that is required for this time. And eventually when more and more of us stabilize into this orientation to life that Courtney, you're the boss of your life. Edith is the boss of her life. You guys are all the boss of your life. But together, if we're all solid and centered and confident within ourselves, we can come together and build some magic together. I don't want to do it alone by myself. I want to be in community with you guys. So the villages of the future, where we all come together, parents and educators and kids, to collaborate and co-create learning experiences in a village-type environment will end up having elements that was like the best of Waldorf, the best of Montessori, the best of play-based learning and project-based learning, some academic learning, but in the right context. You're doing a project, you're like, oh, we need to do some research. Can we go read this book together? Can we take this little lecture together? Can we go take a class with an expert on this topic? At the right moment, that kind of traditional schooly type learning can be very helpful. So we don't we don't reinvent the wheel. We weave all of this together. Right. Inquiry and like um, so many things. And also what we were talking about, imagination, dream time, encouraging children to go into a meditative state or dream about a solution to a project, come back and share their dreams with each other. Yeah. And also the, the being these new children, they're so sensitive to energy. So all of us adults have to awaken to our multidimensional nature of being very sensitive and aware of our energy and the consciousness that we bring into space because the kids are really tuned in and sensitive to all of that. I call them the luminous kids because they have expanded abilities. They see right through the bullshit and they are very easily like a lot of these kids we play with blindfold perceptions they can see right through their third eye they're interested in things like spoon bending and all day my kid has tons of stories to tell about all that he remembers from pre-incarnation how he chose us and how like birth and death works and you know there are some kids that remember past lives and all this stuff, we're in communities of kids that just say these interesting things. You're like, okay, well, clearly the, the education paradigm has to shift for kids that are bringing these expansive consciousness, right? Like we have so much to learn from them. So I'm really excited about the future that it's like really the weaving together of the very best wisdoms from the past, but it's from a new consciousness because now we're not externally driven. We're internally driven humans. We're sovereign and self-directed. Yeah. We'll bring the best of ourselves into a community setting where everybody respects each other and we co-create these possibilities of learning experiences together. And so that's what that's why we need new terminology because it's yeah. not homeschooling, it's not unschooling, and we're going beyond that. This is like a beautiful um village type environment that allows adults and kids alike to learn and grow together in the future 
Yeah, I love it. I, I like the idea of uh, the the term self directed, but it really is a combination because uh, the adults are having to deprogram at, in order to be able to fa- co- facilitate the self directed learning. So it really is it, it's uh, in partnership. But I like that that terminology much more than the unschooling or uh, yeah or de well I guess de schooling, but yeah. yeah but, but the, the, the term de-schooling has to do with like the the deprogramming of our distorted old limited thinking patterns from our yeah. upbringing. You know? No, I I I get it. I I know it firsthand. <laughs> so I definitely I I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I know we're both uh, pressed for time. So um, if you want to add anything else before we wrap it up, maybe we can we can do a follow up one. We'll we'll continue the conversation. Yeah, I love this conversation. I'd love to do a part two with you. Um, some, some final thoughts. Well, you know, for those of you that are resonating with this level of conversation, if you want to explore more about this education and parenting topic, I've poured my heart and soul into building. Um, there's an 18 session journey that you can explore together with me. The, the levels and nuance of this conversation of where is the new paradigm of education and parenting going. I'd love to keep the conversation going with all of you guys. And um, and I was recently guided to take this project to a whole other level of awesomeness because since launching Luminous Education, um, it started in 2021, groups of people just started asking me to run some small classes and workshops and masterminds. And I started teaching kids classes on you know, like blindfold perception and sacred geometry and all kinds of multidimensional possibilities, but also like engineering projects, like just letting the kids' interests dictate these classes. And it's been magical and amazing. And it just evolved naturally where in the past year, I've been in tons of conversations with groups of communities all around the world that are all feeling this feeling, this same inspiration of let's get together as community and build solutions. Well, what does the future of education look like? We don't want to just download the curriculums of the old common core and like do it. It like the, we can do so much better. Let's do better. So all these communities are asking these questions and a lot of people are calling me for support, consultation and coaching. And I realized, why is everybody reinventing the wheel? You're thinking about this one awesome piece of the puzzle. You figure out this piece and I've been blessed to be in all these conversations and I have a systems mind. Like you guys all need to talk to each other. Yeah. I was guided. My guides came and said, Edith, you can't just keep doing this as a lone wolf. And I had been getting that message so much, right? We need to connect communities of people together so we can cross-pollinate and share best practices together. I'm actually doing a $250,000 fundraiser together with a not-for-profit that is one of our collaborators in Luminous Education to build a team, to build the platform for the future where we have all of these resources of all the best practices, all the support system, a way for educators and communities to all connect with each other and share best practices. So that's what I'm doing for the rest of this year is to build this next level platform and build a content library to really get people excited and inspired because this is already a vision that's alive in all of our hearts right now, I think. But uh, I happen to be in a position where I've explored so much of this and I can see how 
how beautifully all these pieces of the puzzle can come together. And so there's no need for us to keep reinventing the wheel. Let's all help each other out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's really helpful because I think I talk to a lot of moms and they they're very overwhelmed by the notion of homeschooling. And, you know, they recognize the perils of, you know, maybe the public school system or even some of the other uh, schooling options they have. But it just seems way too daunting to them to do homeschooling. But to know that there is there's like support systems and that it doesn't have to be quite so rigid and formal, I think would be super, super encouraging for them and that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. And when we think about it, we're we're so conditioned to think that, you know, it has to be done a very specific way. And actually, like the advent of uh, modern education or even school is actually really recent in, in, the, in the span of like humanity. I mean, I think people were, in, in some cases, you could argue they were actually much more erudite when there wasn't even formal education. So... Yeah, Yeah, this whole like reinventing the wheel thing, I think is a symptom of our public school education because we're told like, don't copy your friends. Don't collab. That's called cheating. Right. The reality we're into, we help each other out. We collaborate. I don't have all the answers, but I have this piece of the puzzle. You don't have all the answers. Oh, you have that really important piece. Hey, can we put our hearts and minds together and collaborate and create these solutions together? You know, so we're learning how to do that now because we didn't learn that skill growing up and this next generation of kids will just, it just comes naturally to them. I, I copy you, you copy me, but we give each other credit. Thank you for showing me how to do that. I thank you, you thank me, let's build something beautiful together. You know, that's, there's a lot of um, learning and relearning that all of us as adults have, we have to learn all of this from our kids right now. So anyway, I forgot to mention the website is uh, luminousrevolution.com, luminousrevolution.com. And those of you that want to support in however you feel called to support in the building of the next level of platform where we can all come together as networks all across the planet um, to have these levels of conversation, share resources, that page is luminousrevolution.com slash partner. If you'd like to, I'd love, I just, I trust the synchronicity of a community like this, that you guys just listening to this conversation, I love to hear your ideas about how we can co-create these new solutions together. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I look forward to part two. We'll definitely be in touch and uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Thank you so much for everything you're doing and for spending the time with me today. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being such badasses. Thank you for leading the charge in your community and building a more beautiful world. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.